Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. Matthew 6, if you'll find your place there. We'll get back into our study on the Lord's Prayer and make a little traction there. Okay, Matthew 6, if you found your place, stand with me. And we are going through the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll read, um, let's just read a few verses back. Uh, we'll start in verse 7. And tonight we're, we're going to be looking specifically at verse 12. So Jesus here is instructing us to pray. And again, to set this context, and I think this is so important. So many times in Scripture we are instructed to pray. But nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray like this. Like, this is the model. This is, this is the formula, if you will, for prayer. And so Jesus says, verse 7, when you pray, He said, Use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. He said, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. That is, those are great verses as we preface this, because He is not saying, pray these exact words over and over and over again. And some people do that. And he just says, don't use vain repetition. This is a formula. This is a model. And so he says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. And the word heaven, again, it means he's here. He's, he's, he's above us, yes, but he's also present and he's with us. He says, hallowed be thy name. And the context is that God's name would be made holy. The whole intent of the prayer as we pray this prayer is that how does God hallow his name? Well, he hallows it through us. He answers these prayers as we pray these things through us. And so the prayer request is, God, today, would your name be set apart? Would it be made holy through me, through my attitude, through my actions, through my spirit, the way that I live my life, Lord? And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That We are to pray that God would establish his work and that is our task for each day that through us he would be glorified and his kingdom strengthened and built. Give us this day our daily bread. We looked at this two weeks ago. The idea of bread has two meanings. It's the necessities that we need. Jesus said he was the bread of life. So we need Jesus. And it's also the physical things that, that we need. And so this has, has, has a dual purpose here. And so, Lord, the idea is we need certain things. We need you. We need sustenance. And so, Lord, would you give us those things? And then verse 12, where we do business tonight, is simply this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so let's, let's look at that thought tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a good day, for a great week we've had so far. And, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, that you would strengthen us and help us with this matter of forgiveness. Lord, there's nothing more pragmatic and practical, but also philosophical and theological that has implications for our health than this subject. And so give us help tonight as we deal with this, this idea in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Forgiveness and reconciliation um, are an essential part of the gospel. Can you imagine what the gospel would be like without forgiveness? And, and you can't. Because it's so central to the narrative of Christ. It's so central to the gospel, uh, to Jesus, this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. If there were no forgiveness in our world, what would we be left with? And the answer is simply we'd be left with vengeance and we would be left with retribution. And we see that in the world all the time. But can you imagine if that's all we had? Vengeance and retribution, that would be our answer to everything from uh, uh, the political landscape to our work environments, uh, to our communities and in our homes. If there were no forgiveness in our personal lives, there would be no marriage that could survive. Not one. 
there would be no friendship that would endure. You'd make friends, you'd lose them. No forgiveness in our spiritual life. Can you imagine? And for some people, that's true. We're left with a life racked with guilt and alienation from God. No forgiveness leaves us with bitterness. It leaves us, us with resentment. It leaves us with anger. It leaves us with hate. And not just that, but it has a dramatic effect on our health. This article from John Hopkins Medicine, and let me just read a few lines from it, because this is so instructive to me. And here's the pragmatic uh, part of forgiveness and a reason that we have to embrace, one of the many reasons we have to embrace this concept and this construct that God's given us. This author, who's an MD, says whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize, and it may be affecting your physical health. And here's the good news. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can keep huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain and blood pressure and levels of anxiety and depression and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. As we age, we age more poorly the less we forgive and we age better the more that we're able to forgive in our hearts. There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed, says Karen Schwartz, who's the MD director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at John Hopkins Hospital. She said, chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. And those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels and leads to improved health. So when the Lord says to forgive, yes, it makes our spiritual life better. Yes, this is an idea that has huge eternal implications, but it's also affecting our bodies physiologically. And it's a big deal. And it's something we have to lean into. In one book, it's a, th a theological book by an author named, a theologian named John Stott. And it was a book he, he, he entitled Confess Your Sins. And in this book, he knew the head of a large British mental home. And, and this man was a friend of his. And his friend told him this, this guy who was, a, he was in charge of this entire mental hospital. He said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Now think about that. Forgiveness just, the idea that we would be forgiven and that we, we would forgive impacts us in such dramatic ways in our health and in the condition of our minds. So what is forgiveness? Well, this word that Jesus used, the Greek word here is alphamia, and it means this, and this is, this is so critical to our understanding tonight and it's a thought I'll try to point us back to again towards the end of the message this evening. But it simply means this. Okay, this Greek word that Jesus used here means to let go. To, to, to literally drop something. To release or to send away. I mean, I mean the idea is I've got something here. I've got this you know, burden or whatever this object is. And I forgive, and the idea that Jesus was literally saying was, I let it go. I, I, I push it away from me. I stop carrying it with me. That's exactly what he is saying that we are supposed to do with our hurts. We send away resentment or the right to exact revenge. 
Okay, let me, lay, let me this groundwork, and again, we'll come back to this thought too. This doesn't mean that consequences are released. Okay, so somebody hurts you, harms you, does something to you, it, 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 just in the same way that we've done something, we, our sin has, is an affront to God, it doesn't mean there's not consequences. Sometimes there are legal consequences to our actions, and we understand that. You might have to pay more taxes. You might have to go to jail. You may have to pay the speeding ticket. There's consequences to sin. We get that. There might be relational consequences to, 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 to an infraction. Um, sometimes there's physical consequences. We pay with our bodies. Sin has an awful price tag to it. There are always consequences. But forgiveness does mean that the right to vengeance, the right to retribution, the right to have hard feelings, the right to hate, the one who trespassed, the one who sinned, the one who harmed me, literally is released. I let it go. I I put it down. I, I walk away from it. And so much of Jesus' life and ministry was devoted to both teaching and himself offering forgiveness. He he, he doled it out even when it wasn't deserved. He was always reaching out to people estranged from God. It it blew the expectations of the religious leaders of the day. Why Why does he go to the adulterers? Why does he go to the harlots? Why does he go to the, to the drunkards? Why does he go to the publicans and the sinners? And here we are, the religious elite. And, and, he, and he doesn't spend that much time with us. Well, because his message was about this. I forgive you. And so it wasn't that your sin is okay. It's not that that's all right. It's this. I want to get you from this place where you are to a place of forgiveness and righteous living and moving a different direction in life. It's the core of his story, of his, of his, of his heart. And so he would tell a story about a dad and his two boys. And one of them would rebel initially against a good father. And Jesus paints this image, but he'd come to his senses. And he would come back to his father and get things right. And in, in this, Jesus was, was conveying his heartbeat that we have sinned. And he is waiting for us to come back to him and his arms are open wide and he, he looks over the horizon. And even when our hearts get bent out of shape and our spirits are suffering, Jesus is always doing this. Are you coming back? You're going to make things right. The altar's open. My arms are here. Let, let, let's drop that burden. Let's put down that hurt. Let's let go of that resentment. You have a right to hold on to it, but it's going to eat you up is going to destroy you and the other person, and it hurts my heart, and that's not the example I set for you. But it wasn't just stories of forgiveness he told. He forgave a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. And moments later, he forgave her. He forgave a man paralyzed by guilt. He forgave Levi and Zacchaeus for their financial crimes. He forgave a Samaritan woman who had been married and divorced five times. And from the cross, he looked at those who had just nailed him to it, those who physically nailed him to it, those who had had put them there with their words and their actions and their accusation. And he says this to God, Father, 
And you know what he said, forgive them. Why would he say that? Like of all people, to, like in the moment of agony and pain and the climax of suffering and God turning his back on him. I mean, the man has been maligned and mistreated. He's been envied and he was the perfect son of God. And what is his response to all of that? Father, forgive them. Why? Because they know not what they do. Sin creates fools of us. And we don't even know we're sinning a lot of the time. And we're foolish for it. And when we look at Scripture closely, we find that all the Bible heroes that we want to call heroes were sinful beings. And they were prone to failure. And yet God forgave them and He loved them. And not just that, He used them. I mean, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob patriarchs of the nation of Israel, the great-grandfathers of Jesus Christ. Could you find any more characters in life that are just more a mess? I mean, I mean, great-granddad, granddad, dad, I mean, goes all the way down the line. Like, just, they're just a mess. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was cruel to Hagar. I mean, inhumane, hateful. Moses killed a man in anger. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Esther lacked courage if it weren't for Mordecai. Joseph was ready to divorce Mary. Peter denied knowing Jesus. All of the apostles, his closest buddies, betrayed him and backstabbed him. Judas was the worst offender of all. Paul participated in the stoning of Stephen, and the list just goes on and on and on. And what's the point? Well, God chooses flawed people. He chooses you. He chooses me. And he forgives us. And he befriends us. And he uses us. Okay, what other choice does he have? And we're going to work this around to ourselves here in just a second because it has implication for us. Because what other choice do we have than to work with people who've offended and hurt us too? See, forgiveness is our greatest need. We have no greater need than forgiveness. Without forgiveness, this world falls apart. Without forgiveness, our eternity is hell, and that is true for all mankind. It is our greatest need, but it is God's greatest gift. And Jesus invites us to come to the Father through penitence. When we ask God to forgive us of our sins, we are asking God to release us from His right to hold sin over us. You say, God doesn't have that right. He does. He's holy. We violated his holiness. He didn't have to send Jesus. He didn't have to allow Jesus' blood to be spilt. It is his right to exact vengeance. It is his right to exact retribution. And by the way, he will one day to those that are not forgiven, that have not called upon him. And so when we come to him and ask him to forgive us of our sin, we are asking him to release us from the guilt and the shame that we feel in our hearts because of our sin. Jesus assures us that when we pray and we ask for this forgiveness, God both hears us and he forgives us. And I know this is the Wednesday night crowd, but let's not lose sight of the importance and the value of God's forgiveness toward us. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
We are at war with him because of our sin, and we're never going to win that. There's this angst, there's this tension that we feel, and, we, and here is God, and here is us, and Jesus comes in and intercedes, and Paul said, because of him, we have peace with God, but only through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Does God have the right to wrath on sin? He does. Will his vengeance be poured out on the world one day? It will. But because of the blood of Jesus and only through his blood, his wrath is appeased. Romans 10, 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. This is the bridge. And he says in 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation. There's no wrath. There's no tension. There's, there, there's only peace to them that are in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians, Paul said, and you being dead in your sins, you filthy, rotten, dirty sinner, he says, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath ye quickened together with him, and he forgave you all your trespasses. Gosh, what a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Blotting out the handwriting, verse 14, of ordinances that was against us. Our sin is recorded, it's there, and it's blotted out, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Paul said he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And in that moment, Father, forgive them. We were part of them, being forgiven through Jesus' blood. Okay, we understand that, and those are great theological truths. And they're important, because they set the platform for what is stated in this prayer. But in this passage, Jesus does not instruct us to ask God to forgive us of sin. Okay, all of those verses, once you're saved, you're saved. If Jesus blotted out your sin, we have peace through God, through Jesus. He doesn't take it back because we sin again. So we're not coming back to God saying, forgive me my sin in the sense that I need to be saved again. No, we're saved. And no man can pluck us from the Father's hand. So he's not saying forgive us our sins. He says rather this, but forgive our debts. Well, that's a little different. We still have relational debts that we create with God. And sin separates us from fellowship with him. Okay. Um, I'll just use John for an example. John and I have worked together for um, a long time since we were young men. Uh, I came here as an intern. He came here as an intern. We've been on staff together our, our whole adult lives for the most part. And in that amount of time, we have had some wonderful memories that we've made together. And I'd be lying to you if I told you we've never fought, <laughs> that we've never disagreed, that we've never had things that we were just in our carnality, just upset with each other about. Those, those, we, we, we've had those moments. Most of them were when we were younger, and, and now we just kind of go, eh, whatever. You know, I know John, John knows me, and we just get over it, um, except on rare, rare, rare occasion. Okay, we're still friends. We still love each other. But, but sometimes there's a, there's a debt that's created in our relationship. And so there might be a frustration there. Okay, we understand this in marriage. We understand this in, in relationship with, even with our kids. Sometimes there's this debt. And sin 
or an infraction or that is created relationally and it separates us from fellowship with one another. And so now there's this tension that's created and now we're at odds. Okay, so First John chapter five, chapter one, uh, verse three. If you, if you want to turn there, you can. If you want to listen, you're, you're welcome to do that too. First John chapter one, verse uh, chapter. I'm sorry. First John one, yeah, three. Okay, John says, "That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ." Okay, so the context of this, these verses we're going to read, is 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 what fellowship, relationship, interaction with one another. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard of him, declaring to you that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Okay, what's he saying here? Sometimes we walk in darkness. Does it it mean you're not saved? No. But there are occasions where every single one of us get bent out of shape, our attitude suffers, we hold a grudge, a sinful thought crosses our mind. We engage in a sinful act. We, we get angry, whatever, okay? We walk in darkness. Okay, what happens to the fellowship with the Father? Well, there's a debt. There's a debt that's created. Okay, and so Jesus comes to, instructs us, and Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says, Paul said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed, you're saved, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You're creating a debt when you do. And the Lord's Prayer is about our fellowship with God. Okay, forgive us our debt. Forgive me, Lord, for my sin and the debt that I've created with you. It's a prayer for restoration of fellowship with the Lord that has been hindered by my sin. If I pray and there's sin between me and the Lord, he doesn't hear my prayers, the Bible says. So I got to get this taken care of, Lord. And so, Lord, I've got this debt. I have this transaction. Lord, my attitude's been wrong. I've been lazy. I've wasted time. I haven't been responsive to you. I haven't, a lot of our sin is the things we don't do. I haven't loved other people. I, I haven't been sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me of these things, my debt, between you and I, so that fellowship can be restored between us. Lord, forgive me. Help me. Most common people in Jesus' day, and, and that was the population of Galilee and Judea, owed something at some point to someone during the year. These were poor people. They didn't have a lot. Jesus was dealing with lots and lots of poor people. He dealt with some rich people too, and there were some rich people that supported his ministry and enabled him to do what he was doing. But he dealt with a lot of poor people by the thousands. Many of them were tenant farmers. They were living on leased land. They often had to borrow money for seed. And so to repay their debt, they would give a portion of their crops to the landlord and to lenders at harvest time. Okay, but what would happen when the harvest was poor? Okay, so I'm renting this land, and Brian owns it, and I owe him. But it's a bad harvest year. Didn't get a lot of rain this year. Uh, maybe some, some, some bugs got some of the crops. And I owe him, and I can't repay him now. Some of the crops that would be obligated to him. So what would happen? Well, the debt would carry over into the next crop season. So now I owe Brian for another year. Okay, they didn't have paychecks like we do. There were droughts. They had taxes to pay too. And the Roman government was a lot less forgiving. There were financial obligations. This is where the tax collectors came in. 
because they'd exact more taxes than they should. Debt was common for working people. This was something that they struggle. This isn't like credit card debt because we bought too many clothes or, or too much whatever, a new TV. This is a whole different level of debt. This is survival debt. In fact, they might never get free from their debt. When Jesus said the word debt, they identified with it. They weren't thinking about their Capital One you know, venture card. They were thinking about, about food and survival and my family. Because typically there were two fates in the Greco-Roman world where people were indebted and when they couldn't repay, that would happen. Because eventually Brian's going to say, you owe me and I'm going to get someone else in there. And so one of two things is going to happen. One, they become a slave until they can work the debt off. So I'm going to become a slave or go to debtor's prison until someone else pays my debt off. And the person that would pay my debt off would be called a redeemer. And so when he uses this word debt, these people are thinking about, and, and just this panic about like, yeah, if I don't get the crops, if I don't pay this, if I don't pay my taxes, then I'm going to become a slave to that person. Or worse, I would, go to, I would go to debtor's prison and it was a horrible place to be. And so these people were listening through this lens and they understood this word debt in a powerful way because there was debt that they had that they couldn't repay and that they could never really get ahead of. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples to ask God to do. God, would you cancel my sin debt? I can't ever get ahead on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in prison or a slave to sin forever. And I can't, there's nothing I can do to get ahead here. And he says, come to the Father and he'll wipe it clean. He is the Redeemer. And Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. And these people are listening and they're leaning in. And he could have stopped right there. What a great message that is. What a powerful thought. God, forgive me my debt today, the debt I owe you every day, Lord. I'm never going to get ahead until I have a new body. And, and this wicked man that I am, Paul said, and I'm always doing the things I don't want to do. And I'm not doing the things I should do. And I've got this debt. And so, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Get me back to fellowship with you. That's the idea here. We come to the Father daily. Father, forgive me my debt. And he didn't stop there, though. Okay, this is the part of the sermon that stinks. Because okay, this is what he says. And, and as we forgive our debtors, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, the prayer is two sides. We ask him to forgive us. And then in the same way he forgives us, we forgive other people. See, too often... We ask God for, and we expect from Him the very things that we are unwilling to give. We want His blessing, but we don't want to be a blessing. We want His mercy, but we don't want to give mercy. We want His grace, but we don't want to give grace. We want God's joy and, 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 and countenance to shine upon us, but we don't want to give joy to other people and let our countenance shine upon them. And we want him of all things. If God, if you do nothing else for me, I need your forgiveness. But we don't want to give it to other people. We'll hold on to our, sin, our, our grudges. There's this powerful story Jesus tells about an unforgiving person. Specifically, a person who wouldn't forgive. And what happened to him. And how this process takes place between us and God. When he says, forgive us our debts. 
as we forgive our debtors. And I want you to turn there. So Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. This is a man who is forgiven. It's an incredible story. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. This is a lifetime sum of money. Okay, this is a big deal. This servant owes the king a lot. What are his options? Number one, pay it back. Number two, become a slave. Number three, go to debtor's prison. Verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Okay, and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So what was happening? This man can't pay it, not going to debtor's prison. He says, I'm going to sell you into slavery and your wife and your children and all that you have. Okay, this is really, really bad. Like, I would rather just go to prison myself and spare my wife and children. No, everyone goes into slavery. So the servant panics. He melts before the king. And he falls down and he worships him, ascribing worth and value to this man. And he says, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. And what are those next words? And forgave him the debt. I mean, 10,000 talents. And he doesn't say, okay, I'll give you more time. He doesn't say, all right, pay me half. He looks at this man weeping before him, worshiping him, and he says, I forgive you all. This is an amazing Amen. event. This is, this is an earth-shattering moment for this man. Okay, verse 28. But... The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, someone he worked with, which owed him an hundred pence. 10,000 pence owed versus 100 pence. You do the math. This is, a, this is such a small fraction of what he owed. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. Okay, so here is the exact scenario, but on a smaller scale, he grabs the guy by the throat. This is a big drama here. The guy does the same thing that he just did. He falls down. And his fellow servant fell his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. What's he saying? Just give me a little more time, man. I'll get it to you. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Okay, he's looking for a redeemer here. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, okay, here's the other people he worked with, the other co-workers, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, okay, he calls him back in. He says, what is going on with you? You are a broken human being. You are a rat. You are a scumbag. You're a terrible person. And he says to him, Oh, wicked servant, you terrible person, I forgave thee all that. Now here's the word, that debt, because thou desirest me. 
You begged me. You came to me. You asked me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? You expect this from me, and you won't give it to anyone else? Is, is what he's saying here. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And Jesus says, in case you missed the analogy, and the verse that we read tonight in part of our daily prayer, the formula for our coming to God and the basis for coming to Him, He says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts, okay, this is an issue of the heart, forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. You want this from God and you won't give it to anybody else, you wicked servant. So Jesus, these are harsh words. And it's what he uses to, to too often describe us. We all need forgiveness. And we all need to extend forgiveness every single day. And so as we pray this prayer, we are asking God, God, restore fellowship with you and me today. The sin that I've committed through the course of a day or an evening, Lord, but also give me the grace to forgive and let go and walk away from and push away from me the resentment or the hurt that others have wronged me with. We are to treat others' wrongs towards us the same way that God treats us for our sin, with grace and forgiveness. And when we fail to do so, what happens? Well, resentment grows in our heart. The, the burden grows. It, it doesn't stay stagnant. It gets bigger, and we have to carry it with us. I, I was studying this afternoon. I went home, and I wrote down on a sticky note, grab a backpack and a couple rocks to illustrate the sermon tonight. The sticky note got lost, and so the illustration's gone. But, you know, if you want to pretend with me for a moment, I've got a backpack. I've got rocks in it. I put it on, and I'm trying to preach tonight. And here I am, and for a while, I can bear it. But over a period of time, what's going to start to happen? Well, you know, if you've ever carried a backpack, those straps are going to start to dig in. And I'm going to, my frame will start to stoop from the weight. And I can't carry it forever. And my preaching ability, my breath, my health, everything is impacted by it over time. And we're, we're worse for it because we're holding on to this hurt. And these people hurt us. And we're not letting go of it. We're not pushing it away. We become bitter, we become angry, our souls erode over time. It, they occupy every waking moment, and if not every waking moment, they still keep seeping into our minds. And not just all that, but because we're not obeying God here, and we're not forgiving, we put a barrier between us and the Lord. And so now our fellowship with Him is hindered, and, and, and we're not who we need to be, and we're worse for it. Okay. Let me just push the pause button, time out real quick, and, and let me say this, and I understand all the, the retorts in our minds to this, especially those who have been hurt the most. Okay, forgiveness is not the same as excusing ongoing behavior, and, and it's not the same as even eliminating circumstances. Okay, forgiveness is not reconciliation necessarily. Reconciliation is always the goal, often as possible. And, and that should be our goal in, in all relationships. But sometimes it's not possible because of what's taken place. Many times there's relational abuse that doesn't change. 
So if the abuse doesn't change, well, then what else to change? Well, the relationship has to change. Um, forgiveness is not returning to an abusive relationship. I, mean, I understand that. And, it, and how you define abuse and how God, make sure that you're defining it the same way that God defines it. And just say that because sometimes we can use ideas that aren't necessarily His. So we have to be careful that we understand His heart and His word. But there are always ongoing consequences to another's actions, even if you've forgiven them. There's, there's still consequences, and I get all that. They may still need to make restitution. You can forgive them even if they don't want to be forgiven. You may not be able to trust them again. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not forgetting. There are things we can't forget. The hurt still exists. Damage to our heart is done. There are still scars there. You can't fake yourself into being okay with what happened. Okay, but here's, here's the big conjunction, but... You can decide that the one who hurts you doesn't get to decide what you do with your memory of that incident or incidents. They shouldn't have that power over you. Sin shouldn't have that power over you. This isn't like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to rise up. No, through Jesus Christ. Through his power on the cross to forgive sin, you have the same power, you have the same DNA, the spiritual heritage from Jesus, and the ability to forgive. And, and, and that's why, perhaps more than any other thing, we have to understand that forgiveness is letting go. It's pushing it away. Saying, I've carried this burden and I'm going to release it. I'm going to take it off. This isn't about retribution. Have you ever had someone come to you and say, I forgive you, but the way they say it is caustic or condescending? And you hear the words and in your heart you're like, yeah, right. (laughs) No, you don't forgive me. I, I I can hear it in the tone, the way it's said. Why? Because there's attitude behind it. That's not letting go. Forgiveness is not some magical words we say. It's a letting go inside of the heart. It's a softening of the spirit. And forgiveness is reflected in the condition of our hearts. There are real consequences to sin, okay? But there are also real consequences to not forgiving. And so they're going to pay the consequence for the infraction, and you're going to pay a consequence for not forgiving. It's equally wrong. It's another ditch. And you're hurting yourself. Both are equally destructive. When we fail to forgive, we hurt ourselves. We hurt the people around us. We hurt those in proximity to us. There's no peace in our hearts. Our minds are preoccupied with the hurt instead of other things that are good and right and are supposed to be constructive in the Christian life. Unforgiveness is a weight that hurts us. It takes the joy out of life. And not only that, but when we fail to let go, we continue to give power to that person to hurt us. And that hurt doesn't stop. And they continue to control us, even though we're separated from them. And then our resentment crushes our souls. It hurts our relationship with God, and it ruins any chance of relationship with that person ever again. It's destructive. We have to be realistic, and we have to recognize the pragmatism of forgiveness. So listen carefully to this. 
those who are married, those who are not hoped to be, those who have been, those who are in any form of relationship or community. In every single relationship, you are going to have moments of disappointment, you are going to have moments of hurt, and you are going to have moments of betrayal. Period. It's ubiquitous. Every relationship is that way. Where there is sin, where there are human beings, there is sin, and where there is sin, there is hurt. Friendships do not exist without forgiveness. If you want close friends, you are going to have to have a spirit of forgiveness towards them. There could be no peace in any workplace, none without forgiveness. A church literally can't exist unless its members forgive one another. What we have here is gone tomorrow when we stop having grace and forgiveness with one another. No marriage will last without it. Every spouse at one point or another snaps at the other person, takes a tone of voice, finds something irritating, or is just generally disillusioned and frustrated. So many of our relational tensions aren't because of the original infraction. So many of our relational tensions and the turmoil in our own hearts are because of our unwillingness to let infractions go. And so what happens? The tension continues and it doesn't stop. You wanna know the secret sauce to good relationships? It's forgiveness. Have to have it, have to have it. People leave marriages, they leave a lifetime friend, churches, they leave parents, people leave their grandkids, leave their own kids, because they won't let go of hurt. Henry Ward Beecher once stated, let me saw off a branch from one of the trees that is now budding in my garden. And all summer long there will be an ugly scar where the gash has been made. But by next autumn it will be perfectly covered over by the growing and by the falling autumn it will be hidden out of sight. And in four or five years, there will be but a slight scar to show where it has been. And in 10 or 20 years, you will never suspect that there had been an amputation. Trees know how to overgrow their injuries and hide them. And love does not wait so long as trees do. See, 1 Peter 4.8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. And perhaps the most important way that love covers sin is through forgiveness. In Romans 12, 21, Paul said, be not overcome of evil. He said, but overcome evil with good. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, but I say unto you, and this is one of the most hard statements he would ever say, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Okay, here, here's your enemy. Here's that thorn in your flesh. Here's that person that's causing you all sorts of tension in your world. And what does Jesus ask us to do? He says, love them, bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. Wow. Every time we pray this prayer, we are being reminded that we both need to seek forgiveness or, or, or ask God to forgive us our debt and then we also need to offer it and extend forgiveness and the debts that others owe us. This is where Christianity shines. This is it. 
You want to be a Christian? You want to claim the name of Christ? There is nothing more Christian and there is nothing more Christ-like than forgiveness. This is, where, this is where we're different from the world. This is how you're different from those people you work with. This is how you're different from the people in the community, the people that you're sharing Christ with. You're different because of your faith in Christ and because you're adapting His ways. This is how we shine or not. Or it's how we don't shine. And it's how we profane the name of Christ. And we take His name in vain. This is it. Taking His name in vain isn't a word. It's an action. And this is how we do it. If we want His kingdom to come and His will to be done, then we have to forgive. Let me just state this in closing. I have a few more minutes here. I, I understand this in my own personal world that on paper, forgiveness can look black and white. Like, just forgive. Like, what's the big deal? Just forgive. But we all know that forgiveness is a lot more complicated than that. Like, just get over it. Life doesn't work that way. Our hearts don't work that way. Um, sometimes we're wrong and we don't feel sorry. <laughs> have you ever been there? I haven't either. I've never, I've never been there either. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just not sorry. Sometimes someone infracts, does an infraction, commits an infraction against us, and it's just really hard to forgive. And you don't want to. Like, I don't want to forgive that. Like, in this moment, right now, feeling hard towards them feels good. And our hearts can be hard. And, and that's just because we're sinners. Sometimes it takes a few hours, days, weeks, years even, to forgive. I get that. It's like the Lord has to chip away at us and chip away at us. And we think about it, and, and, and maybe we come to this moment where we do forgive. And so we've carried this burden, and so I'm going to let it go. And so tonight maybe, you say, I let it go tonight. But, but I walk away from it, and, you know, two weeks later, I'm thinking about it again, and I pick it back up. <laughs> and I got Lord, help me to let it go again. We have to keep letting it go. We have to let go of the resentment. We have to push it away. We have to forgive. And that's why every day the Lord says, Lord, we come to Him, Father, forgive me my debts. And God, help me to forgive other people who have debts to me. Help me to let it go again today. And, and sometimes, and maybe tonight, so we're going to pray in just a second, maybe your prayer would simply be this. God, help me to want to be sorry. Like, I don't feel it, and I know I should be. Like, I'm, my mind says I should be, and I'm not. Help me to be sorry, Lord. And maybe our prayer would be this. God, help me to want to forgive, because it's hard, and they're wrong, and they hurt me, and I don't want to. So, Lord, help me to want to. But the longer you hold on, the longer you carry that burden, it grows. And the longer you hold that, it's going to be harder and harder to let it go. It becomes part of who you are. And pretty soon you're carrying that burden and that bitterness and that resentment 
and all of those negative health effects are taking place in your heart and they're spilling into our church and in your personal relationships, into your home and in your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your workplace and it's spilling out into all those places and you're worse for it. And I'm going to tell you, the sooner you let it go, the better off you are and the sooner you let it go, the better off we are. I, for, if for no one else's sake tonight, for my sake, the hurt you have in your heart towards someone else, would you let it go for me so that I could be a better person and happier person? For your sake, I need to let go of hurt in my heart. For each other's sake, we need to let our hurts go. We need to set them down and daily come to the Father. Say, our Father, Lord, you're in heaven. You're with me today. You're above me. You're around me. You're with me. Father, forgive me my debt that I owe you. I, I messed up here, Lord. Lord, there's some areas I messed up that aren't even clear to me yet. So, so please clear that debt too. And then, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to let go of that hurt today. I heard they were talking about me. That hurt. I heard they said that thing to me. It hurt. The way they looked at me, the text message I got, the way they treated me, and the list goes on and on and on, and the hurts get worse. They shouted at me. They yelled. Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me to let it go. Let's pray tonight. Lord.